0: If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk and welcome to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like just not sports. On today's show, we'll talk to former Kansas City Chiefs kicker Nick Lowry, who got a degree from Harvard just so everyone can stop talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick already. And in honor of Jackie Robinson, we will go deep on the 1950 biopic where Robinson played himself and actually got way better reviews than Batman versus Superman. I am your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And joining me in studio, a fresh-faced sports media no, strategist no. who has worked with the University of Colorado, the Green Bay Packers, and many, many global sports brands, and who's also wearing one of his aforementioned Just Not Sports t-shirts, it's Adam Willard. Yeah, you thought it was a big joke, and now that you see how sexy it is, you can't wait to put yours on. <laughs> Good restraint not dropping an F-bomb. I could see it percolating on your lips. You were ready to go. Well, I'm trying to be more respectful. <laughs> also <laughs> joining with the, also joining us tonight, I'm going to take that. Also joining us tonight, on the phone, back from the dead, in New York, it's our Emmy-winning sports producer, Gareth Hughes. Gareth, how did you escape wherever you were kidnapped from the last few weeks?
1: Well, you said back from the dead. uh, I saw Bill Walton on the floor of the Final Four. I happened to be wearing my Grateful Dead belt buckle. I stopped him and I said, hey, Bill! Check it out, man. We're rocking the colors tonight. And he looked at me and said, Ico, Ico, brother. Take care. And kept right on walking. Take, <laughs> so.
0: care. take care is a great way to blow somebody off. You really can't be mad because they said take care. But it's very clear this is Dude, not going anywhere. Be-
1: I bet Bill Walton gets stopped a lot of da- times to talk about the Grateful Dead. He's got to keep right on walking. So,
0: Well, thanks for not bringing up the fact that I've hammered him and he's supposed to be coming on the show. So, Bill, anytime you want to return my many emails and texts, you know where to find me. Take care, buddy. Also, in studio this week with a functioning microphone, it's our producer extraordinaire, Joe Reed. Joe, what do you just say for yourself?
2: It's good to be here, Brad, Adam. Gareth, it's good to have you back. We the miss confidence. you.
0: Confidence. It's just isn't it? Like, <laughs> it's
2: amazing. Oh, oh, everything's great in my life. I'm young. Yeah, whatever. I'll get paid to do this. <laughs> Take care, Adam.
0: <laughs> yeah, Gareth, what did you think hearing Joe uh what did you think hearing Joe kind of step in, do some interviews, gain the confidence?
1: Joe, if I'm Wally Pip in this scenario, that makes you Lou Gehrig. And you're going to meet a tragic end, my friend. So, <laughs> spoiler alert.
2: <laughs> hey, I believe that Adam compared me to Stephen Curry. I was in a good mood that yeah. week. I don't really believe okay. that. Just wow. Saying, just saying. <laughs> wow. I'll, no, play I'll, nice. no, I'll Joe, edit that segment back is, in right <laughs> <laughs> now.
3: Yeah, Joe has definitely uh, <laughs> stepped it up. But I feel like you're more value to us when you feel bad. So, well, Gareth, we'll to be there. fair, we'll I mean, there.
0: Joe can hit the record button from 55 feet away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, unlimited range. Oh, yeah. All right. So on this show, we don't just invite people on. We go public with our invites because we're the only show with real balls in the industry. So it's time to slam the hammer on a few unsuspecting souls who have expressed an interest in something and therefore are legally obligated to talk to us about it. So let's start with Gareth back from the dead. Gareth, who you want to slam the hammer to, buddy?
1: Uh, I, to go briefly on this, I was at the final four and I had the opportunity to watch the Villanova North Carolina game from the floor. That was without a doubt, you know, that'll knock the sports cynic right out of you. That was my favorite live sports moment I've ever witnessed. And with that in mind, I, boy, Chris Jenkins the way he just stood there on that court after hitting that shot, that dude is the man. i will I <laughs> yeah. want to talk to him about anything, anything. you know, I just like I know we, okay, cool. We can't talk about sports on this podcast. Can you tell me about standing because you're really good at it? because the way he just stood in front of eighty thousand people and twenty more at home, he clearly has a gift for it. so, Chris Jenkins, come on, talk about anything. Particularly, tell me about being the man. Uh, sorry to swear, but my god, welcome so, back, here. That's my
0: hammer. Yeah, <laughs> here you go. It, it, it was probably the dual things of of the guy nailing the jumper to win a national title and not doing anything but just standing there, and then Jay Wright just being like, "Bank," and He just walked away. <laughs> yeah. So straight pimping. Adam, you're nodding your head. Who do you want to slam the hammer to this week?
3: Uh, I'm going to go three for one on this one. I would like to invite the Jones brothers on. And when I say the Jones brothers, I mean UFC fighter John Jones and his two football player brothers, uh, Chandler Jones with the Arizona Cardinals and Arthur Jones with the Indianapolis Colts. I think the they've only been seen in the same place. Uh, once or twice um, John Jones making his UFC in the process of making his UFC um, comeback after uh, some trouble away from the octagon and uh, Chandler and Arthur both steady NFL pros I mean what are the odds that you produce three world class athletes from one family I want to know how that happened and just kind of their dynamic together and not really anything that they're specifically interested, but just the Jones family.
0: All right. I like it. I like it. Joe, do you have a hammer? I do. Oh, hot damn. Go for it, buddy. So I'd
2: like to invite on Rick Fox, and this might be to the line between sports and not. We could talk about this on a future episode. But he actually owns a League of Legends. This is an he e- does own an esports oh, team. This is, an not, e-sports this is team. This is fine because his son is super huge. He's a professional esports player, ah. very into gaming. So we could talk to Rick about um, not his sport, but how he sort of you know got into this through his son and his interest, and now he's like a huge proponent of esports being recognized as a sport. Interesting, um, like athletes are, or you know are given scholarships at certain universities now like it's definitely gaining a lot of legitimacy so i'd be curious to sort of get his thoughts on that it's, i would
3: it's so nice that he accepts that as a sport when so many other athletes reject their kids no
0: matter what
2: yeah yeah, it was really cool to see him talk about it. You know, how he, oh.
0: I like that. I like that, Adam. I, oh. I like how Joe's just like, yeah, I, I agree, Adam. Like, totally hey. no response. I, I thought it was great seeing him. Anyway, hey, what about so, his acting he, career, man? Rick Fox, accomplished actor.
1: Well, can I actually? I, I heard go, a good yeah, Rick Fox story at the final four. Please. Uh, somebody actually, we were talking about hanging out with athletes, and somebody was like, "Have you ever gone anywhere in public with Rick Fox?" I said, "No," and they said you will meet more women in one time just hanging out next to Rick Fox. I've never seen somebody who gets approached by more women and gorgeous women at that than Rick Fox.
2: Except for yeah. Joe Reed. I'll take it. No comment.
1: Oh, no, except for Joe Reed. Yeah. Well, Joe Reed is a millennial.
2: Yeah, that's
3: true. It's a whole different <laughs> dating world. Anyways, um, Joe has a girlfriend who he's very happy with. Disclaimer
2: Rick Fox, esports. I'd love to learn more.
0: Let's That's do my it. hammer. My hammer going out to a future NBA Hall of Famer, Allen Iverson. Oh, yes. I've also, I've also would like to make an addendum to this hammer. And for the first time, just not sports history here, hammer a former guest. Hmm. Two, in fact. Hmm. Shaq and Alan Iverson are two of the most important non-sportsmen of our lifetime because of their contributions to rap music. I would like to bring back Shay Serrano mm-hmm. and the legend, Def Jeff, mm-hmm. and go in depth on the careers of these two legendary rappers. And side side note, they also played basketball. Oh, right. Uh, and break down their careers, the odds and ends. I want to go deep on the albums. And maybe we'll do a little bit of a Hall of Fame preview for the non-sports. Actually, okay, you know what? An- another addendum. Whoa. Same for another I'm announcing show. right now. Double addendum. Double addendum. You are a PR I'm a, guy. I'm a policy wonk. We, <laughs> we've, got some, we've got some public policy interviews coming up. Uh, <laughs> uh, double addendum. Today I'd like to announce the creation of the non-sports Hall of Fame. What about the Just Not Sports Hall of Fame? Oh, you're just bringing it up. How here. about this? At this the end of this year, this we will surprise. each induct. We each get one person to induct, and then we'll turn it over to the Sparkle Ponies to vote on another induction. Oh, yeah. Done. Done. Yeah, All, all right, of the year? we'll do the Hall of Fame. We all should need to start the non-sportsman of the year. So the, the, the non-sportsman and the non-sportswoman of the year, the people who made the most contributions away from sports in an interesting way, the most interesting people mm-hmm. in sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there we go. So that's a big-ass hammer. So long story short, I want to talk about Alan Iverson's rap career. Thanks. <laughs> Great. Hey, guys, T-shirts. It is amazing. Spoken like a and, true policy wonk. <laughs> and T-shirts. All right, that's it. If you guys got someone you want us to talk to, email us, justnutsports at gmail.com, or uh, give us a shout-out on Twitter, at justnotsports. Right now we're going to jump right into a quick break. We'll be right back with our interview after this. Joining us on the show now is Nick Lowry. Nick was one of the most accurate place kickers in NFL history for nearly two decades, setting a series of league records and earning a spot in the Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame. But just as interesting as his long list of game-winning kicks is what Nick has done away from football. He has not one but two Ivy League degrees, and he's been involved in a slew of causes over the years. So today we're going to talk to Nick about life beyond football and sort of get a feeling for how athletes can begin to get involved Away from sports and in their community, so Nick, thank you for joining us. How are you today?
4: Well, I'm doing great and it's it's a testament to you guys that this is important to you because the storytellers, uh, if questions aren't asked that uh, that look for these things, uh, people sometimes never hear about it and it's really powerful when uh, kids growing up today hear about the fact that they can spend their lives doing great things and and there's nothing uh, more important than that
0: absolutely. I mean it, I've seen, you know, you've done work, different campaigns for three different U.S. presidents. I'm wondering, do you have the current crop of candidates on speed dial just ready to go? Like, what's next? Let's do this.
4: Uh, Well, it's funny. Uh, Donald Trump actually had me as uh, a finalist judge for Miss USA, which is not exactly something on my (laughs) resume uh, for the work with kids. But um, uh, I I was lucky enough, one of my best friends from college, Carl Lopp, worked with Bob Trump. Donald Trump's brother. So um, there's that connection. Then working with President Clinton and the amazing Office of National Service for him and working with Hillary, I uh, was uh, very honored to be selected for the fifth anniversary of AmeriCorps, which I helped get passed uh, with the help of Senator Bob Dole when he was Senate Majority Leader. And uh, we were working in that first uh, Clinton White House. And that AmeriCorps is something that too few people know about. It's, you know, 75,000 people kids mostly in 18 20 21 24 somewhere in there that are given a chance to solve really important issues in communities that re- require them to go really deep to live in those communities just like the peace corps where people go elsewhere we need a tremendous amount of leadership and we're not going to get it if we don't give kids a chance to really go deep into areas where there is great poverty great need and sometimes even some danger, and they have to learn to work with people that don't trust them. So those skill sets lead to a much, much better America.
0: Yeah, actually, my sister was uh, in AmeriCorps for two years. She First year, um, just regular service, then she was a captain, I believe that's the term, for the second year. She was stationed in Anacostia outside of Washington, D.C., and she raves about the program. Oh, yeah, wow. Can you— Describe a little bit more, if you don't mind, the the type of work they do, because I was fascinated by the sheer scope of service that they provide here in cities across America.
4: You know what? It is it is so uh, varied. Um, But I'll give you an example of of the power of this. We had I work with Colonel Rob Gordon back then. He was Major Rob Gordon. He was a White House fellow. And he's now um, the president of Be the Change. And we had to demonstrate that this was real stuff that was measurable that made a difference. So, we put together a week of training for 1,500 of these early AmeriCorps recruits the year, be- the summer before passage. Everything we had to show that we could really make a difference. 80 of those kids went to Texas, and in eight weeks, immunized 104 thousand babies. Wow. So that's just one example. And immunization in poor populations, you know, we take it for granted. But the truth is, even today, there's, there's some huge uh, groups of, of uh, populations that uh, are missing some of those um, immunizations that can, you know, literally protect their kids for a lifetime of, of more likely health. So uh, everything from working with gang members and, and, and making them part of the team and suddenly they transcend their old roles and become community leaders. A lot of these people just were looking for something to belong to that really meant something to them. And suddenly, you know, what was a gang infested neighborhood becomes a group of young leaders that, you know, went through a phase where they didn't have any other option. And now they're doing amazing things. And these guys that could have been turned in one negative direction and to a life of crime, et cetera. And suddenly now they, are creative uh, problem solvers that are truly bringing uh, resources to their communities, um, learning to bring people together rather than break them apart.
3: Nick, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about what you're working on now, but backing up to where it all started, you grew up in Washington, D.C. How much... Um, do you? How much of an influence do you think that had on uh, your involvement in the kind of work <laughs> you do now?
4: Uh, uh, you know, that's a great question. I grew up in, in Northern Virginia, in McLean, Virginia. My dad was uh, senior CIA, and in fact, I always—I'm just so excited to always share this. When we lived in, in England, when I was nine, ten, eleven, my dad said he was senior CIA. That's all I knew. Well, when he died six years ago, I found out at his funeral that actually he was, he was head of station in London. So that meant he was literally the, the American equivalent to the James Bond M character. Um, <laughs> wow. But growing up in Washington, yeah, isn't it cool? Yeah. So I grew up next door to, in 6803 Hampshire Road, 6801 Hampshire Road, uh, was Byron Wizard White, Justice of the Supreme Court. He'd just been number two under Bobby Kennedy at the Defense, at the Justice Department, and on the second day, I'll never forget seeing this shock of red hair, the familiar Bobby Kennedy, uh, thick mane of hair, and his dog with him. He just walked three and a half, four miles over from Hickory Hill, and to grow up next door to a guy that not only was a Supreme Court justice of the highest level, a swing vote, an amazing guy who helped. Um, with the Marshalls in Selma, Alabama during the civil rights marches, but also just happened to lead the national football league in rushing for both the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Detroit lions and the actual name of the award that I'm staring at right now in my living room in Scottsdale, Arizona is called the justice wizard white award named for my next door neighbor. So if you don't think that didn't affect me, um, by thinking, you know what, maybe I should aim higher. And growing up in the, in the Kennedy era where that notion of service to country, not that far since World War II, and just the notion of sacrifice and service is, is the missing thing that actually is really well received by today's millennials who get criticized for a lot, but in, in truth, they are committed to finding balance in their lives
3: and that's where the balance comes. Uh, Nick, um, you, you are very pa- clearly very passionate about what you do, um, yet you had a very long career in the NFL. Did you at any point when thinking about pl- playing professional sports um, think maybe you want to jump right into public policy work and focus solely on that rather than play football, or was football your first love?
4: No, well, actually, what happened was I just didn't know whether I would make it, and so I wasn't drafted. I signed with the New York Jets, but I'd been in the uh, summer, the year before, I'd been an intern for Senator John Chafee of Rhode Island. I was a drama major, switched to to government at Dartmouth, and I really enjoyed working on Capitol Hill. So I was a legislative aide again for Senator Chafee after I was cut by the uh, Jets, played two games for the Patriots. We won both, 2-0, so I can always (laughs) tell Tom Brady I had a better win percentage than him. But uh, they cut me, too. I wasn't quite ready yet, and I didn't know if I'd ever be ready, so I uh, worked for Chafee on uh, the Title V Regional Commissions, and then, uh, which I really don't think we should spend our time talking about, but it was interesting, and then I worked um, as a permanent staff member with 11 other lawyers. And I was the only non-attorney on the Senate Commerce Committee for Senator Bob Packard of Oregon, so I, I thought that's what I was going to do, and that's a great job because you don't lose your job if your senator loses his or her election, but... I got this call from the Kansas City Chiefs out of the blue, and I just thought, I owe it to myself to try one more time. And the Chiefs gave me a $2,500 bonus, which, you know, today is just a, a joke, but it was just a sign. No one else had done that. And I just thought I, I owe it to try one more time. I've been getting stronger. More importantly, I think mentally, than, but also physically. And I was up to, at that point, after all those rejections, I think, and maybe only because of those rejections, I was ready to out-compete and out-kick The only kicker in the NFL, the first kicker in the NFL Hall of Fame, Jan Stenerud. So I look at that adversity as the best thing that ever happened to me. And even though I was already thinking I might have a career in Washington, um, underneath that notion of service on Capitol Hill is the larger notion of making a difference in communities and using what you have to, to make a difference.
3: You are the president of the uh, Nick Lowry Youth Foundation. Is that something that started while you were a player and how has that work evolved over the years?
4: Well, you know what, it started with, I think what's really important for people that are listening is to tap into what matters to you and really resonates that gets you up in the morning, that keeps you up at night in a good way. And my aunt had cerebral palsy. Margaret had been born with a significant cerebral palsy, yet she had incredible backbone, incredibly uh, intelligent, and she got her college degree. She learned to play the piano and and, and type, and, and she had... Trouble speaking, trouble walking, but she became a professional writer and I just was to me a testament that all of us are given physical and emotional or spiritual challenges in life. And it's what we do with those challenges. Those are the things that carve us as human beings that put us up on our own Mount Rushmore of character. And that's where we need to look at ourselves as, you know, having stood the test of life and learned from those tests, every one of those values speaks to us with every future, um, challenge and adversity that we have because adversity will always be there and helping kids see that as part of the journey when I'm 105 and I'm teaching the college courts, which is what I'm planning to do. I know I'll finish and I'll be walking home thinking, I may be 105 but I'm going to get my lecture a little bit better tomorrow.
3: (laughs) That's all you can do. Um, Before we started this, I know you do uh, leadership training. Um, You mentioned you were working on some projects currently and stuff that hadn't been done before. Can you talk about what you're up to these days?
4: Yeah, Adam, thank you. Um, It's really exciting. So we do programs for Native youth. We'll be doing a leadership training with um, Unity, Inc., which is the largest Native American leadership program in the country, now based right here in Mesa, but it represents... 160 youth councils from 150-odd tribes in 36 states in Canada. But on top of that, we do programs for the homeless, champions for the homeless. We just had our ninth year of that. Um, We do programs for military vets. Um, We do champions against bullying programs. And then the thing I wanted to share is what happened last week is this amazing – connection of head injuries and trauma with football players, which is very high and which was underscored in the movie concussion where we had a big fundraiser actually for that. Thanks to Sony, um, which, uh, is allowing us to educate more people about that. If you want to see our website, it's called com about all the best new stuff with regard to head injuries. But here's the link, which is that women in domestic violence relationships, Um, 88% of them have not only had one, but multiple head injuries. 50% of their kids have had head injuries and 55% of those kids are under the age of five and 83% of those women have psychological issues that go with it too so uh, there may be something that is a dark story a dark chapter but to me it's a really powerful one that I look at optimistically that that now that we're learning about the brain we're learning about what happens to people that have had head, head injuries that their ability to make good decisions to have good relationships to resolve issues in a good way to have relationships that are healthy I guess that's really what it is which then comes from their own relationship with themselves, if their brain is damaged and literally has blinders so it can't see life in three dimensions in full color, no wonder they can't make better decisions. If you're four years old and you watch your dad um, you know, hurt your mother, or in the the case of Derek Kennard, who's a Super Bowl champion with the Dallas Cowboys, who was with me at this event last Thursday and told me when he was six, he watched his uncle blow away his father, murder his father just to save his mother. What would that do to you? What would that do? What did that do to Derek Kennard? And those are the things that we need to talk about. I love it because it's all about healing. And by healing one relationship, you're healing all those kids and those generations that go forward. So that's a lot of power. That's a lot of opportunity to
3: really do good. It's an interesting topic, too, because of the uh, increase. Uh, maybe there's just more awareness around the uh, domestic abuse that happens around the NFL. Not to say it's a frequent problem, but um, the fact that a lot of players who have had concussion issues, there seems now to be a link between their behavior um and domestic violence and
4: it's a link overall and the, actually the percentages at yeah. them are you know about half in the nfl or whatever right? the general population um, but it's it's only about half it's actually less but the truth is when it happens, whether it's Ray Rice or somebody else, it gets a lot of detent- uh, attention and we got to you know pay attention to that. You know, We as athletes are in an era where we get paid a ridiculous amount. I wish I was playing now because I'd be paid a lot more. <laughs> less when I was playing. But still, we're very fortunate. We're very lucky and we should be very grateful. So, you know, it, the NFL uh, is doing uh, its part and we can do even more. So it's exciting to me because I see the, the big hearts of these NFL players who have not had domestic violence situations um, and want to show that the great majority have huge hearts and they can inspire some of these women living in fear to talk about something that they've never talked about because of the threat that they feel in their lives. And now they're suddenly they're emboldened and they begin to reclaim their power. And that is that's about as beautiful as it gets to me.
3: Uh, Nick, I know we're coming up on 17 minutes. Uh, Anything else you want to say before we let you go?
4: (laughs) Well, um, you know, and I want to thank you all and anybody that wants to learn more about our work, I'd love to come on your show again and we'll talk in in more detail, but uh, it's www.nicklowery, N-I-C-K-L-O-W ery.org and um, anybody that wants to know what it's like if you have a kid that wants a pep talk uh, about how their lives are transformed when they find themselves living for a higher purpose that's what it's all about their education their grades and their lives improve
3: nick before we let you go one final question can you tell us about the work you're doing at victory
4: well, thank you. Victory is really a pretty cool thing. It's uh, the the global social network for athletes. It's www.viktrevictory.com. And it's connecting athletes all over the world. And it's allowing athletes uh, that have... Um, hundreds and thousands of followers to be compensated. So that's great because while we love what Facebook's done to connect people, uh, it's nice when athletes that are bringing advertising revenue to Facebook that maybe they get supported. A lot of former athletes are in financial uh, hardship. And um, it's also connecting athletes that can make that very difficult transition. Some call a second death after their careers are over. And realize that what they learned as athletes, a little bit like military folks, you know, that that, that, that experience learning how to sacrifice to be part of a team in the military field or on the, on the playing field in the NFL or wherever, that those are skill sets that can make a tremendous contribution um, in schools and, and everywhere. And I'm, I'm dedicated. I'm very, it's very important to me that athletes have a chance to, to play that role as catalysts for good values in communities.
3: That's great, Nick. Thank you very much for your time. I know you have a ton going on. We appreciate you joining us, and um, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk again soon.
4: I would be honored to. Thank you.
0: If you rank the most important athletes in American history, Jackie Robinson would be first, and then you can spend a lot of time debating who comes later. It sounds cliche, but Robinson's ascension to the major leagues in 1947 is as vital to American culture as it is to baseball box scores. He's been a fixture in movies since then, like 42, and in not one but two documentaries by Ken Burns. The latest debuted this month. But what you may not know is that Jackie Robinson got his very first biopic way back in 1950, and what you definitely don't know is that there was only one man to play the celebrated slugger in his prime, Jackie Robinson. That's right. Jackie Robinson starred in his very own movie, The Jackie Robinson Story, during his playing career, which is probably the most famous playing career that's ever been in United States sports. So, Adam, knowing all this, did you have any idea this movie existed? Yeah. Oh, you did? did? I did not at all. Um,
3: 42 has long been my favorite number. Uh, I use it in... A variety of passwords and so forth. So, I won't tell you what the rest of it is, but 42 is my dad um, really liked James Worthy. So, I liked that already. And then, and on top of that, Jackie Robinson. And wait, wait. So, 42 you're like, I was a big ja- number.
0: James Worthy fan. And then, you know, because of that, I got into Jackie Robinson.
3: Well, I think it's the combination of the two that number that has always meant a lot right. to me. So, yeah, I did know
0: that he was, uh, he had starred as himself in a movie. I had no idea. Like this, I I was a film. I was a paid film critic for years. Yeah, well, no idea. He started he's it. black, so I, don't, <laughs> I get is, it. That <laughs> is not true. Garrett, did you have any idea that Jackie Robinson had played himself?
1: I did not. I mean, honestly, I one of the few movies I've actually ever cried at. I will admit to this is Ken Burns' Baseball when. Uh, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. Now the morning this happened, I was pretty hungover uh, as I was doing a watch <laughs> of Henry's baseball in my early 20s. So I was probably a little sensitive, but when all the kids gathered around New York that night to talk about Jackie Robinson's like baseball, I I broke down and cried on that hungover morning at an apartment in Boston. Hey, real So quick. I did not know that if I had wanted to continue that that emotion, I could have just popped in his movie.
0: Real quick, what's the most embarrassing movie you've cried at? Or the most embarrassing cry from a movie? Joe?
2: I don't know. I'd have to think about it. I feel like I haven't cried at too many movies.
0: Adam? I just saw the movie Room. Oh. Oh, and you cried during Room? Mm-hmm. Oof. Like sob? Like deep sob?
3: Uh, no. Uh, I cried. I don't remember the last time I've sobbed, period. But yeah. I cried.
0: Mine was, um, I, got, I got two. The, one was the cartoon, The Land Before Time, when the mom dinosaur died. I was like in middle school, probably, and or probably younger than oh, maybe like fourth or fifth. Grade. Uh, but my, I cried so hard, my mom turned it off and <laughs> took it back to the video store and banned uh, it because she's like, never again. And then um, more recently, I was fresh out of college and I got mono and I was really sick for like three or four days, couldn't sleep, couldn't even swallow. I'd been misdiagnosed a bunch of times. So then I, I went to the doctor. They finally did a test. They gave me the shot that like, enabled me to swallow again. So I went home and I ate something for the first time in three days. I a Gatorade. I laid down in this bed. I put on Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> and then the old man collapsed at the, 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 the tombstone. I sobbed for like an hour straight on my bed because I was so exhausted and sick. <laughs> Not a good, I was a grown man living by myself. Not a good look. Oh. Uh, let me okay. Let's get back to Jackie Robinson. Not a lot of emotion in this movie. It's a very dated movie from 1958. So if you're looking for the emotional resonance of the story, modern production, you probably just pop in 42. Yeah. Uh, the, the baseball action is extremely dated. Like it's it's you know it's a lot of slow play. It's kind of like and now Jackie walks up to the plate. And it's just a wide shot and you hear the crowd noise and it's almost like it's trying to put you in the in the baseball stadium, but it doesn't realize that that's boring as hell.
1: <laughs>
0: Nowhere <laughs> else. You'd rather watch and not be. Um, but it is fascinating to see him play himself. And I guess I have some questions for you guys about the performance is what it is. Although I will say the New York Times gave him a really positive review. Listen to this. Mr. Robinson... Doing that rare thing of playing himself in the picture's leading role displays a calm assurance and composure that might be envied by many a Hollywood star. I mean, that's better than Batman Superman, man. Were the acting
3: standards <laughs> just lower at the time? And I don't mean to say he didn't do a good job. He fit in with the actors around him. It was just hard to tell whether or not he did a good job or not. It's, yeah, I mean,
0: it was a the, 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 it was 1950, so you're really talking about the end of 40s cinema. And... Not everything was gone with the wind. Not everything was. Uh, I, I think it was probably more. This is more akin to like a TV movie now, or even that yeah, TV movies yeah, are that's better. That's a great comparison. Like a '90s TV movie. It's a very wooden performances. It is what it is. Um, but it got positive reviews, and what I find fascinating is he was an important. So this movie kind of puts a stake in the ground and says he's an important American institution. The, the film ends with him. Making it to the Dodgers, uh, appearing at the White House, giving an address on the radio—it it seems um, to America about persistence. It's clearly putting a stake in the ground three years into his MLB career and saying, "Here's an important American figure." And I just can't think of a a single other Hollywood project that would do th- that has done that. In like an like an athlete in his prime, telling his own story, looking forward, and and I think that speaks to a Robinson's unique position exactly. in American history, and the fact that it was known, and B to the sort of I guess well, I'll get into this more in a, right now, instant myth making that was you know happening at the time with what it was saying about his ascension to the major leagues. So I want to can I, I, wanna, can can I ahead, throw
1: Mary, out something else that this is going to sound cynical and I'm not nearly enough of a film scholar and I'm, I'm prepared to be shamed, but like how deep a pool of famous African-American actors were there working within the studio system of 1950. Who you also could have pulled from to play Jackie Robinson. How many are there now?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's that's a very
1: fair point. Yeah. You know, and, like, uh, exactly. So I, I think that's a third reason we have to throw out there as to why this might've happened. Look,
0: that's sure. a really good point. And I don't think it's cynical. I mean, think of your movie studio at the time. You're right. Do you get an African-American to play the leading role knowing that they may not be a box office draw? Or do you just go get the guy himself because he's got fans? You know, everyone in New York's going to go see Jackie play himself. It's interesting. I, the other than the only other thing I can think of with, a modern superstar athlete portraying a really, really interesting like American cultural story during his playing career was Kevin Durant in the movie Thunderstruck, where he changed bodies with a little boy.
3: <laughs> I was going to say Michael Jordan in Space Jam. What's more <laughs> of oh, yeah. adversity? Well, than that's a documentary, right?
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Ken Burns is out doing media for the new Jackie Robinson movie. Yes, and he, he is. I, I can't quite tell, and I should really see, we should see if we can get them on. I can't quite tell if if they're just sort of trying to differentiate it from the 94, but it, in the interviews I've heard, I heard him on Richard Deitch's podcast for SI, and he was kind of bad-mouthing the 94 job they did on Jackie Robinson, which yeah. I thought was a pivotal episode, but he talked about how they fed the myths yep. of, um, oh, well, you know, the story of, Phil Rizzuto or whoever it was, putting his arm around him. Pee-wee Reese. Pee-wee Reese, excuse me. Never happened and all this other stuff. I was thinking about that a lot while watching this movie. Because this movie makes the myths. I mean, everything about what Ken Burns is saying is the true Jackie Robinson was not just this guy who wanted to sit there and take it. He was an outspoken advocate for social change. He was a fiery competitor on the field well, Jackie Robinson made a whole movie with himself playing this sanitized version of himself. That's like this meta commentary that I can't, it just literally blows my mind apart. That here he is very much walking into a, a force, forcibly fed Hollywood sanitized version of his own story while it's happening and then perpetuated that just as much as like the babe calling his own shot in movies perpetuated that idea. It blows my mind. It's seriously, the whole thing is just very interesting to me. You, on the heels of what do you think motivated re-
3: him? Was it ego or money or both? I, I'm just curious. Why? Why do this? I don't
0: movie? know. I, I honestly, I don't. I don't know because I don't usually associate Jackie Robinson with ego, and maybe that's naive. But like Jackie Robinson is the most important athlete in American history. He's one of the most important, and I don't mean this to sound trite. There's a huge list ahead of him but he's one of the most important figures in the black experience in America.
3: Absolutely. So whether he wanted to be or not,
0: that's right. So I don't, I don't see him being
4: like, hold on. Grab, why you know? would you
0: hold on. Let me, why
1: would you do this? First of all, he was clearly a guy. I think we can all agree. If you're going to make it that far and that high in any sport, you you're going to have pride and you're going to have ego. So, you know, that's just a given with anybody who makes it in a professional endeavor. And so then I think there's got to be a part of him that's thinking, well, I don't want some who can tell my story better than me right now. That's where it's up to the people who are making movies and agents to step in and say, actually actors have a skill that you don't have and charisma and ability to be on camera and things like that. So, but that's on Jackie Robinson's job to be able to say that. Number one. And number two, look, this whole show is based on the premise that athletes have interests off the field. It might have sounded fun.
4: You know, right, like, yeah.
1: you know, like that sounds like, like you got a long off season. They're going to pay them a little money. It beats selling cars in the off season. I'm in, you know, I already live in LA or like, <laughs> let's go to LA and go from there. So it also, in some
3: ways, like what a way to go back and be able to have the perfect line in every moment but in movie form. Yeah, I think if right. any of us could go back and if I could um, make a movie about my 20s, I would do some amazing script writing around there and have some really I would funny remember lines so and, much more of my 20s. Yeah, I would be sober. <laughs> it would be great.
0: Well, this movie sets the tone for, you know, almost, you know, two decades of civil disobedience to come and the fight for civil rights. Mm-hmm. And so that's important to frame, I think to frame the story at the time of, I'm going to take it, I'm going to, you know, be the bigger person was probably an important story that he wanted to put out there. i go back to, yeah, he probably thought it would be fun, it would be a chance to be a leading man, and it's a chance to tell his own story in his own terms versus turning it over to somebody else who's doing caricatures. And there's a lot of weird caricatures in this movie. I mean, there's, like, the um, Negro League team with, like, the guy doing, like, 15 wind-ups before we pitch. Yeah. There's... um uh There is like you know clownish like fifty five year old ball players like you know out, uh, hacking away for for yucks in between Jackie just getting up there. Look, the whole movie is basically people throwing at Jackie Robinson's head, and Jackie Robinson getting a single and then stealing all three bases in succession. So like, is yeah. the
3: movie Forty Two. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, I think it's, <laughs> I, I, think it's a, I think it's an interesting point you make because this movie uh that jackie robinson started as himself and then again what i would consider a mainly sanitized version and uh the recent more recently released 42 um they both basically tell the same story and although uh they do share some difficult truths about um society and the way jackie was treated as a player it's still largely uh it makes him out to be a martyr as well as Branch Ricky which we could spend a whole a whole another hour talking it about.
0: It is kind of like the thanks for thanks for putting up with some abuse but um you know uh Branch Ricky was really you know the, the savior and and look this sanitizes the abuse like you wouldn't believe. The worst things that people are here I mean there's some negative comments said but it's not you know people spitting at him and and saying the n-word and and making the white audience Look terrible. The white fans look terrible.
3: Threatening him. Um, and there is definitely
0: yeah. it, it is. There are some bad scenes. There are scenes when he goes into a, a diner and they're not served. So I, I applaud them for trying to show that, but it's not probably true. You probably sh- if you want the Jackie experience, go watch the Ken Burns documentary or read a book on. I agreed. Uh, but I just think it's funny to see him perform. Also, he looks great at the plate, man. I lo- I like the fact that it caught him in good resolution with some interesting shots while he's in his prime. So it's got really clean footage of him kind of like mm. lining up to take a swing and looking giving you that that famous like Robinson stare. I would argue this no one looked better holding a bat on his shoulder than Jackie Robinson. If you just, if you Google it and you just, and you see that than intensity. a professional baseball player. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so. I, I think, Kid. yeah, right, yeah. Huh? Well, I, if you were to say no one looked better swinging than Ken Griffey Jr., no one looked better, like, waiting for a pitch than Jackie Robinson. Right. And maybe that's the aura around him. I will say this. His voice was not what I was expecting his voice to be. I know
4: what you it's mean. Very high pitch. I know that life in these United States can be mighty tough for people who are a little different from the majority. I'm not fooled because I've had a chance open to very few Negro Americans, but I do know that democracy works for those who are willing to fight for it. And I'm sure it's worth defending.
0: Uh, I think it's, I think. Was he, was he just delivering it that way?
3: I think it's a put put on voice. I think it's also um, the movie recording uh, technology that existed at the time. Well, actually, I, he's, he's one of those guys. Very stiff and hollow, and I, right. I, and he, he's clearly a guy out of his element. So I think the, a lot of acting was done there. even playing himself.
0: That's also the last generation where, before, you know, th- before you really started to see these guys on TV all the time. So uh, like Babe Ruth or Stan Musial, I would recognize they had their voices. I'm right. not making any comment about what his voice should sound like. Uh, no, I'm no, just more, I think
3: it's, it was, it was, I was taken aback as well. I know yeah, exactly it was just like, oh, made. wow. Okay.
0: Yeah. I, I I couldn't remember hearing him speak all that much.
3: Doesn't sound like Chadwick Boseman, which is kind of what you think he would sound yeah.
0: like. <laughs> well, better branch Ricky, this branch Ricky or Harrison Ford? Uh Harrison Ford.
3: Plays the stereotype of a baseball <laughs> manager uh, as well as I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Gareth, any, any final thoughts on, there's the, just sort of this movie as meta commentary on Jackie's life and legacy.
1: Well, I was just going to say that we were considering naming our son Branch and I'm really glad we didn't.
0: Oh, I'm oh. okay with that. That's cool. I, mean, I think
3: let's clarify here. Branch Ricky was a good man. Um, but as I th- article stated, he was not the Abraham Lincoln of baseball. Like he was made out to be a lot of his reaction to uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of his motivation for having Jackie Robinson on the team was uh, the pressure that was being put on New York baseball teams by the mayor at the time, who was uh, accusing the three baseball teams in New York of discriminatory, discriminatory practices, and then the black uh, baseball press, who had been saying for years uh, and pressuring baseball managers for years to let someone through. So is Branch Rickey, um brave for... Letting someone through that color lines, um, absolutely. Uh, I just can't call him a hero in the same in the way he's made out in cinema.
0: And then, real quick closing thought: There's no such thing as catcher like pitch framing. So virtually every pitch that's thrown, the catcher stands up to catch <laughs> It is really <laughs> jarring, <laughs> really jarring. You're just like, uh. dude, what are you doing? <laughs> like, there's no way they're gonna call, and they're calling balls up their head. The baseball scenes of this have not aged well but I do encourage I do encourage people to go check it's free on YouTube uh we'll we'll post a link to it on our Twitter or you not can
3: Sports. send us ten dollars and we'll burn it on a disc for you that's
0: right we will burn it and we'll send you a t-shirt too all right and with that with that we're gonna take a quick break we'll be right back today's show is sponsored by the weatherneck we spend a lot of time around athletes and super active people, and two things really stand out to us. They love staying active outdoors all year round, and they need quality equipment to do that. Enter the Weatherneck. The Weatherneck is a modern take on the bandana that's quick, quiet, clean, and comfortable, and it's designed specifically for performance outdoors. It features high tech fabrics and powerful magnets that make it today's outdoor bandana, and it's comfortable. The center mesh section allows for full breath when active outdoors. And the wicking fabrics eliminate the nasty soaking wetness that can bunch up in fleeces. Everyone knows what it's like to put on like a knit scarf, try to be on a bike out in the cold. It's just awful. Your face gets super wet. And it's super convenient. Removes in one second with one hand. That's amazingly helpful if you're on the bike, on the run, or just outdoors doing your thing. I know the guys who created this. They are super smart, super passionate. The types of people I would trust. Go to theweatherneck.com for more information or to place an order theweatherneck.com. That is our show for this week. And in the immortal words of Eagle Safety Malcolm Jenkins, if you didn't like it, well, the beauty is in the imperfection, my friends. Please go on our iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. If you do, send us a note about it. You could get a t-shirt, you could get a shout-out from us, all sorts of good stuff. Follow us on Twitter at JustNotSports. We have plenty of new social media action coming to you in the the weeks ahead. We're going to be on some new platforms, so stay tuned. But right now, follow our Twitter feed for updates. And let's do some shout-outs. I'm going to shout-out Nick Lowry, our guest. Adam, uh, interesting perspectives on community service and devoting your life to causes beyond sports.
3: Yeah, it's it's really interesting to talk to a guy who really viewed – Um, football is something that he felt he owed to himself to pursue, but was not his primary option. And the things he's been able to do uh, both during his career um, and and post-career are are really impressive.
0: Yep. Gareth, any shout-outs?
1: Yeah, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to the Founding Fathers uh, you guys didn't all get along and our image of you has gotten over, glossed over and romantic. Like you are all just a bunch of guys who are all friends and you know, it was all easy, but I give you a big old shout out, especially you, Alexander Hamilton. That was some cool musical for creating this thing called democracy. So we could be here 240 years later, t- still trying to figure it out.
0: That's Pulitzer prize winning play. Hamilton, the musical. Did you see that word today, Gareth?
1: I did see that it won the Pulitzer. I mean, love that shit.
0: <laughs> Joe, any shout-outs? Mm. No.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Adam, <laughs> wow. Adam yeah. how about you?
3: Yeah, I'd like to give my usual shout-outs, uh, you know, to some of my family and friends. Uh just like to say shout-out to my boy Uzi. Jeff Jeff. The legend. Lil Swanee. Meach. Nice. Ron Mack. You're familiar with Ron Mack. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, similar name. Similar name. Mm-hmm.
2: Was it your other cousin?
0: Oh, my other cousin, Ron. Love those guys. Thank you for all you do, everybody. And in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers, stay booty. Say booty.